Excuse me. Can I quit this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I told Eddie Murphy to stay in college so he'd have something to fall back on. I did great advice. Jackie, how about the lighter side of history? The lighter side. I got some laughing at my joke. Okay. I know a lot of things and I share them on the podcast and you don't care. What are we talking about? I can't get a word in edgewise (laughs) on this show. I mean, it's. Here's how we sell it. Okay. Here we are for another big podcast, and I'm Peter Bales. I'm Jackie Martling. This is Stand Up Memories. And when we last left you, my partner Peter Bales was about to regale us with tales of doing stand-up comedy on an airplane. Well, I don't think I've heard this story, and I've been stuck with him enough. I thought, <laughs> I, thought I'd heard them all, but uh, you have the floor. It's true. There was a small airline that was flying from Newark to New Haven, not exactly a long flight. I, there was a flight, it was a small propeller plane, Newark to New Haven, and they wanted publicity. And they booked me and a couple of other comics to do stand-up on the short flight. That was like... A couple of comics? Yes, yes. We each did a few minutes. And, and it was a short, very short flight, and we were, after every, all of the preliminaries were done, seatbelts are fastened, stand in the aisle, where they do the seatbelt instructions and do our stand-up. And I was introduced, and I started doing my stand-up. 12 people? Probably, 24 people? Probably 30 or 40 people, a very small prop plane. <laughs> and <laughs> I started doing my act, and of course it's loud white plane noise. Uh, nobody can see you because the seats blocked your view. You know, A couple of people might be looking out in the aisle, I'm getting no response, and I'm standing there doing my stand-up, and then we hear over the loudspeaker, the pilot has turned on the seatbelt sign, take your seat, and I had to take my seat and face front and turn (laughs) and stick my head out into the aisle. And they were doing it for the publicity, and they did get a reporter from the Associated Press to ask me how it went afterwards when we got to New Haven, and I gave a great quote. I said, Ah, it was pretty tough out there. And when I went into my dressing room, I couldn't believe it. There were two guys with headphones in there. <laughs> and the AP made that like the quote of the day. Right. So it was picked up by newspapers, including Newsday, uh, all around the country. Now, as any good comic has to say, what do I say? <laughs> Who books it? <laughs> <laughs> Who books it? Who I, books I it? did stand up on a prop plane, not a jet. But, uh, so uh, crazy. Oh. You know, in the early Wild Woolly days, uh, speaking of who books it, there was a, a guy who used to book a lot of shows named Jim Balazzos. Yes. Jerry Stanley booked shows. I booked shows. Ron Richards booked shows. <clears throat> and there weren't comedy clubs yet. So it was a big deal if you got a job coming to Mustache Pete's. These guys were Jersey bookers. Right. Yeah. Instead, of, instead of working at the improv and getting $5 and a hamburger... You'd get $40, you'd flirt with the waitresses, you'd get drunk, maybe get stoned, who knows? It'd be great fun. And Balazos would pick guys up at the improv. So one show, <clears throat> in the very, very beginning, 
we meet him at the improv, and it's me and Joe Bolster and Paul Reiser. He picks us up, and we get in the back seat. He's in the front seat with his bottle of vodka and his wife, and we drive to a bowling alley in wherever, New Jersey, on a Sunday. And he pulls in the parking lot, not too crowded, and he goes up, and the door's locked. The place is closed. And we see him, like, and I turned to the guys. I said, you realize we get paid no matter what. They said, what are you talking about? I said, we did our job. We showed up. We're here. We're ready to work. It was almost like I was a union organizer, but because they're like, well, how can we do that? You know, the guy's not making any money. It's like, no, that's not how it works. And Belazos came back and got in the car, and I said, you realize you have to pay us? He said, well, what? There's no show. The guy's not here. I said, that's not on us. That's on you. You have to pay us. And Riser talked about that for another year or two because they were very impressed. But you, that was the kind of line in the sand that had to be drawn. You know, there were certain lines in the sand that weren't really drawn. If you're there ready to do your show, you know, I, I remember guys used to go on the road and they'd be like, one show Thursday, one show Friday, two shows Saturday. And all of a sudden, the owner of whatever club would say, oh, I want to do two shows on Friday. Right. No, I want to do three shows on Saturday. And the guys would be like, no, you, you know, it's prorated. You know, right. I get, we get right. a certain amount for five shows. Right. We get another amount for six shows. And the guy was like, no, I booked you for the week. Right. No, we're not indentured servants. servants. Right. <laughs> but that was something that had to be, you know, carved in, in, in... I always say the best gig I've ever had in comedy in decades, bar none, my friend Steve Lazarus, a comedian, booked me at a, an outdoor pool club in Queens. And I was driving there, and uh, there were thunderstorms in the area and wind and lightning. And I pulled up in front of the place, and he is standing out there, and he goes... Because of the weather, they called it off. Here's your money. He hands the money through the window of my car. You never turned the never, car off. I never stopped. I, I, I was rolling. I didn't even stop the car. I slowed down to about one or two miles an hour. He hands the money. And I go, thanks a lot. Great gig. Boom. I never, <laughs> I never got out of the car. That is so great. You know, people, I, this happens all the time. People ask Gilbert Gottfried, like, do you really love doing your show? He goes, my dream, when I'm in the, dressing room or the green room is for them to come in and say, the club burned down, there's no show, here's your money. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's right. One thing club owners will do is if the crowd is light, if it's a small crowd, they might ask you to take less money. Never, when it's packed to the gills, will they give you more Here's money. a little extra. That, that's, mean, the whole, that's the whole rub. This is a story that happened. The guy's name was Bob, and I always describe this place as the place that would have had chicken wire so right. when they threw bottles it wouldn't hit you you know like in animal house or whatever it was or, yeah or blues brothers <clears throat> and i literally worked there and w next time i worked there i worked for 10 times as much yeah i got booked for 200 bucks and in the ensuing year or two the stern show got big enough that i got booked for two thousand dollars and the guy was uh, a drunk and a cokehead and everything like that. <laughs> and I went to get paid. And you're me, and he's sit, st sitting there, and he counts out my money. Five twenties. 
five twenties, five twenty, and he counts out ten, and then another ten of five twenties each, and I say okay, and I take five, and and I'm counting them, and one of them had eight twenties in it, and it was like a Mexican standoff because I was like, is he playing games to test whether? I'm honest enough that I'm gonna say you gave me too much. And I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna call the bluff here. And I counted out all the money. <laughs> and I counted the money, I said, perfect, thank you. And I walked out of there with overpaid, and I'll, I'll never find out. He might have put in too much as a goof and been so high that he didn't remember by the time I got done counting. I mean, he was one of those guys that was that. Did he ever call you again? I. The place, I think I went back there, it, you would know the name if I told you, because all the guys worked there. Okay. But but uh, it was, it, that's the only time that ever happened with the guy gave you, you know, because people <laughs> give you money, like Dino from Uncle Vinny's or all them, you know, and it's so, you know, whatever it is, you count it, it's always on the nose. You know, they count it three times, you know, they don't want to shortchange you and they don't want to give you too much, you know. <laughs> Every time I got paid, the owner would say, we'll do better next time. <laughs> and I remember at the Treehouse, I love that club. You think Connecticut, you think Treehouse. I'm on stage. The cheapest well, guy. He said, Jackie, I'm retiring. I said, thank you. <laughs> I love him. I worked uh, for Brad for 20 uh, years. I got to tell you, I was at the Treehouse and in Westport, Connecticut, and sitting down front and laughing and being great during the show that I was hosting. Again, here's this, that name again, Meatloaf. Meatloaf and his girlfriend and a couple friends and they're down front, they're not distracting, in fact, they're helping the show and everybody knows he's there and he's laughing and the audience is watching him laugh and so they're laughing, it was just great. And somehow this popped into my head, this dumb joke popped into my head and I go, I know Meatloaf has heard this a million times but I'm gonna say it anyway. And I said, ladies and gentlemen, do you realize if the famous gymnast Nadia Comaneci married the famous rock star Meatloaf, she would become Nadia Comaneci Meatloaf. <laughs> Which is just so And, and I, I look at Meatloaf and he goes, he almost fell off his chair, he laughs so hard. And then when everybody sees him laughing, they laugh, okay? And he got a kick out of it, I got a kick out of it, and afterwards, his girlfriend, his gorgeous girlfriend, comes up to me, hands me a slip of paper, and said, here's Meat's number, give us a call, we'll hang out. Ah. And I took that piece of paper home, and it was on my bureau for five years, but I never... On what occasion? Hey, I'm that comic yeah, I'm that, that comic that had a few too many drinks and gave me your phone number. But it was just know. nice that, you know, and they call him Meat, you know, <coughs> and here's Meat's number, and I had it on my bureau. Uh, That's so fun, you know. Oh, that just, it has a little... Pr I, I did it in New Year's Eve in Wilmington, and uh, I'm working, and George Thorogood uh, and the Destroyers were working in the theater. And I think it was time, so my show was this, was now, and then he was between shows, so he came and sat, and he loved my jokes, we had a few laughs, you know, I think I ran into him years later, and he said, yeah, you know, it, it's, it, it means nothing, <laughs> but it's just fun, because you cross paths with these people at some point, you know. 
And a lot of them are, are, are great comedy fans. Great fun. Great what fun. a career. You know, it, it's so the We were talking about people getting mad. And I've always told ethnic jokes and racist, not harmful ones, but you know, that stepped on the line forever and ever. And never, ever, ever got harassed or any of that. A couple of months after I started as a comic, where I was still doing a comedy show, but I'd sit on my amplifier with the guitar and tell jokes, but I had started being an actual comic, but this was Jackie, will you go do this? And it was a bachelor party at a place called, I'll never forget, the Billy Who. That was the name of the place, Billy Who, with a question mark, <laughs> in West Patterson, New Jersey. I don't know about you, but growing up in Oyster Bay, we didn't have bachelor parties with strippers and everybody gets drunk and goes nuts. I mean, people got married, but nobody got married early. And after high school, people kind of splintered. It just yeah. wasn't a thing. We're in Jersey. It was a, a, a given thing. And so I'm sitting on my amplifier, and there's like 12 or 15 guys standing in a semicircle looking at me. And I'm playing song and telling jokes. And I'm, but you know the way you look at a crowd. I'm not looking at anybody. I'm looking at them without looking at anybody. And I said some kind of insult about how dumb you guys are or how <laughs> ugly, you know. But I wasn't looking at anybody. And a guy pushed his way through the guys. And he came up to me and grabbed me by my shirt and bent me over and said, I'll beat your ass, man. I said, L listen, I wasn't talking to you. I was addressing, I'm a comic. I'm, I'm breaking chops here. I'm being funny. And he was like, okay. <laughs> and that's the only time, and this is, I mean, it was one of those things where it was so far away, but I think I got like 50 bucks. And I was like, who's going to say no? Oh. And my friend Red, famous Red McCready came with me. And after I was done, I sat with the guys to get chairs. There's no chairs when I'm working, but all the guys are sitting in chairs, and there's a stage about six inches tall, <clears throat> and they have a stripper. And the stripper brings the groom up on stage and undresses him. But I'm sitting there, and here's the groom's father, Wow. And the groom's fiance's father. Oh. And she proceeds to do a number on him and then brings up his father and then brings up his future father-in-law. And I'm like, am I on Pluto? Is this the and then afterwards the, there was a line at the at the door of the bathroom. Wow. And I'm like, I had never seen anything like this in my life. And I'm like, Red, what the what? Jackie. Who, who books that? <laughs> <laughs> that sounds incredible. I, you know, you know, it's so interesting. You know, bachelorette parties are now commonly held at comedy clubs, and I will never. And they're the most horrible thing. They are work. tough. They are tough because they drink a lot and they and are they more don't into each shut up. Yeah, I know. I because know. usually three of them want to be at a comedy club. I and know. The rest of them yeah, I know. But I saw this at. Governor's. And there's always there's always club owners. Hey. Great news. <laughs> you got a bachelorette party. It's, yeah. not, it's, never a it's never great news. But I saw a bachelorette party 
at Governors. And on the show was Joe Rogan, well-known Joe Rogan for his podcast and everything else. And after the show, you know, the comics are hanging out in front of the club, outside the club, right by the, where the audience is getting into their cars. And a stretch limo pulls up in front of Governors, 15 feet away from Joe Rogan and me, but the door opens and nobody says anything to me, but one of the girls, Joe, you were great. The, in this, there's eight beautiful women in this limo, and they're packed in there facing each other, four and four. Hey, Joe, you were great. You want to come with us? He doesn't say anything. He just literally walks towards the limo, and like he's diving into a pool, head first, dives in, and there was no seat for him. He had to like lay <coughs> across four women on their lap. The door closes and the limo drives away. And uh, I admire what Joe Rogan's accomplished in his career, but, but I not admire- not as much as that. <laughs> not as much as that. Wow. And as he drove away, you're like, I want to be a headliner. I want to be, I want to be a headliner like Joe Rogan. Uh, boy. The closest I ever came to anything like that is I had, did a show at Jimmy's Comedy Alley, which was a pigsty, but I was pretty popular by then. And I came out and these two girls had a limo. And I got in the back seat with the two of them and we're fooling around a little bit and finally one of them pushes the other one and says, leave him alone, he's mine. And not being amazingly choosy, the other one gets in the front seat and fools around with the limo. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, this is a little bit low rent, but what are you going to do? You I know? don't usually talk about this, but this really happened. At Catch a Rising Star. Uh, at some point, we had to, you know, vo void off, venture off into these horrible stories. I know. Well, I don't know how horrible this is. I think it's kind of a cool story. Um, the tables were long and they, they came up this way straight toward the stage. So there was a woman right up against the stage when I was on and she turns her chair sideways and directly behind her with his chair turned sideways is her date. So I'm up on stage, she's literally right in front of me, turned and facing me. And without a, a full club, and I'm having a great set, Without anybody in the club knowing it, including her date, she lifted up her sweater, flashed me, dropped it down. I looked. And nobody knew but you and nobody her. Nobody knew but me and her. Full room. Full room. And I was remarkably able to maintain my composure. <laughs> and, you know, uh, I got, I had jumped on her. And I got back up on the stage. No, I didn't jump on her. I, I, I actually, I continued. I mean, I, I'd love to see a video because, you know, I'm sure I flinched. Did you speak to her afterwards? I did not. I did not. She was with a date. Do you the think th it was, she did it on a bet? You I think, think it was, was one of, I think fun? it was a New York moment. I, that's what I, I think it was a moment. And I think it was cool. And I don't think it's a horrible story. I think it's a great story. I, I think it's total fun. And I remember it late at night, often, when I'm alone <laughs> with myself and I can't sleep. Well, what, <coughs> funny that, you should I'm say sorry, that, because I might think, think about it myself, <laughs> alone, late at night. 
such you know, crazy. They, they were they were they were crazy times. And and you know we think were we crazier than the current generation? I don't think so. I think they're making their own stories now. As you we know, speak. my aunt Janet, <coughs> my double cousin Lenny's mother, used to say, "You kids think you invented sex." It, it's, it's been crazy since Adam and Eve, since that snake bit her or wherever he bit her or whatever the hell happened. It's been going on and on, and nothing has ever changed. Ever, I, ever. I fully believe that. Ever, I absolutely ever. believe that. Uh, I think young people now are, are as crazy as we were. And it's true, the human brain does not fully develop until a person is 25 years old. That's a medical fact. What are you waiting for? <laughs> Mine is slow. It will get there. <laughs> it will get there. <coughs> there is no hurry. Oh, I love it. I, uh, I, I used to remember some comedians would go too long. And we should explain that in the world of stand-up comedy, going too long, when you're not the headliner. The, the headliner generally has carte blanche, unless there's two shows. there's nobody waiting. Right. But I mean, you, it is just so disjointed. If you have a show that's going to be, say, an hour and a half to two hours, which is the sweet spot, you will throw off the show if you've got the feature act, middle act, same thing. And what, but what's hard is if you've been all working together for a while, and all of a sudden it's Friday or Saturday night, and you've got a packed audience, and you're the middle act, and all of a sudden you're knocking them dead. It's it's hard to get the hell off. You, you can almost read the guy's mind, you know. <laughs> plus, plus the guy's used to doing 20 minutes, and all of a sudden with big laughs, it's 25. And I was just talking about this to somebody the other day. I was on it, it, in Las Vegas last weekend, and the opening act was okay. Not good, not bad, but every time they laughed, it was like, that's one I won't get. <laughs> that's one I won't get. There's a manager at Rascals back in the day Danny McKenna, we both love him. He was so terrific. And we will have him on this show. We will have him on this show. He, <laughs> guitar acts want to always prove to everybody, the audience, themselves, other comedians, that they can do straight stand-up if they have to. But of course, their guitar acts and their guitar material kills. It's stronger than their straight stand-up. So John Joseph, a wonderful comedian, today working all around the world, and he's a guitar act doing song parody, would go up at Rascals headlining 400 seats doing stand-up. And his guitar would be behind him, and he's going to at some point pick up the guitar, and he's doing his straight stand-up. And he would do straight stand-up, doing OK. Keep 20 minutes, 30 minutes, straight stand-up. Danny McKenna, the manager, walked down to the side of the stage in front of 400 people and goes, pick up the effing guitar. <laughs> <laughs> Subtle Dan. Subtle Dan. I'll tell you. He's the greatest. He's the greatest. <laughs> he, was, he was absolutely the greatest. That you was know. one of the great clubs of all time. Yeah, and they had a second one, uh, Rascal South, in, down in West Orange, New Jersey, with one of the brothers, the Magnuson brothers, Ward, who everybody said was the Fredo of the Magnuson. Well, he was all right. But I, I, we got to be getting close to the end here. And I want to finish off with a Rascal South. All right. I'm on stage at Rascal South. I always packed the place. I always killed the place. And it was a table full, a round table full of old guys. And they were rambunctious. And they were drinking. 
and one guy starts heckling me. And, you know, you say a few things and try and shut him down. And another, he heckles a little more, I try and shut him down. And you can only, you got to pick your spots. You can't go after him after everything he says, but he's talking too much. But he's got his back kind of to me, and I look down, and he's wearing a Rangers jersey with, like, somebody's name on it. I said, all right, you, out in the hall, 15-minute penalty. And the bouncer came over and took the guy and put him in the hall for a 15-minute penalty, <laughs> like a hockey game. And after a certain amount of time, I said, all right, you can let him back in. He came back in, and he sat down, and he shut up. And the guy said that was, it was the greatest heckler thing ever. What were the odds? You know, there that was, was a comedy hat trick. A comedy I hat love trick. it. I love it. Wow. Those were the days. Yeah, yeah, These man. are stand-up memories. Stand-up memories. I love That's them. our show. I love them. So uh, we're going to eventually have some guests, and I might eventually do either ventriloquism or magic, whichever it's going to take to get more people in the tent. But ventriloquism, magic, music. I might bend a spoon with my mind. You can do that. So crazy. I think we might draw the line at juggling. Although there have been some terrific comedy jugglers. W.C. Fields. He was a juggler? Are you I kidding? did not know that. I did not know that. If you saw his juggling, his film of him juggling in vaudeville, you'd think it was fake, except it's such old footage you realize they can't fake it. Wow. What about the guys who juggle meat cleavers? That's dangerous. You, gotta, you can't sit up front for that. The guys that juggle a ping pong ball and a bowling ball and a meat cleaver, I'm like, you know. And let's mention uh, a guy, a a guy a that, joke, that we knew, uh, the late Mike Reynolds, was a terrific juggler. And but he, he, was a much, he was much funnier than very, he was a proficient juggler. Right, you know? but he could juggle apples and eat the apple. That's how fast he was. Our wonderful friend, the late Mike Reynolds. A comic juggler. He was the first. Yeah, I waited in line with him at Catch a Rising Star. The first time I ever waited in line was with Mike Reynolds. And years later, I'm at the Rainy Night House. I'm like, what are you doing here? He said, what are you doing here? I said, yeah, I got the bug. I got the bug. I got the bug. And comedians take every set so personally. You mentioned the Rainy Night House, a little hole in the wall in Queens, New York. The owner was also the cook. And I worked there Vic with... Vic Sookman. I, wow, Vic, yes. I worked there with Dom Herrera when he was just starting out. Dom Herrera just starting out, and he went up, and he had a, let's just be honest, a terrible, terrible set. And I saw the whole thing, and he was bummed afterwards, and he apologized to me afterwards. Flash forward a couple decades, National headliner, selling out rooms during the week, you know, specials. Doing improv with Robin Williams. Specials on cable and Tonight Show appearances. And we work together at a club. And he killed and he sells out. And he says to me, oh, by the way, that night at the rainy ha night house, I was just really tired. <laughs> yeah, he's still nagging he's at still him. still nagging at him. You know, I, I, you know, get over it. You're... A huge success. He did say that to me. He remembered it. That, you know, you, know, you never forget that. So I, uh, all right. We're finishing with this. Mike Reynolds, who passed away, 
the first time uh, I saw him again after Catch Rider and Star Wars, worked a couple times at the Rainy Night House. Now, you remember the hostage situation, how tense it was in the country. And I guess it was Walter Cronkite, and behind him is the hostages, day 80. Yeah, I remember. The hostages, yeah. day 92. And every night it was, I forget how high it went. but Into the 400s, I think. Yeah, yeah. the number was yeah. went up and up and up and up. And it was so tense, and the whole country was so tense. And the hostages got freed. Being a ball breaker, and Reynolds goes, Jackie, I got an idea. Tell me if you think this will be funny. I'm going to go up and open with the hostages are free day one, which wasn't. It was oh. just. And I said, That is genius. You will, you will kill with that. And he, <laughs> he went up and said that. He never got him back. <laughs> he said, The hostages are free day one. Like, what are you out of your mind? You. I, you know? I think it was Glenn Hirsch, another terrific comedian, who, who knew a guy who got married on the day the hostages were taken. He got married on the day the hostages were taken. So as he starts his marriage, he would see in the paper every morning, hostage crisis, day 97. So he knows it, that was how long he's been married. Hostage <laughs> crisis, day 337. <laughs> and he remembers, that's how long I've been married. It, it, well, the day they got freed, he should have divorced his wife. <laughs> there All right, go. let's go home. We're going to. I'm going to go have a hamburger. I think. Well, I don't. It's been a while. I don't even know whose turn it is to pay. Yours. Oh. <laughs> this is Stand Up Memories. I'm Jackie Marling. I am Peter Bales, and we're going to be back with more great shows. Hey, a new episode of Stand Up Memories every Wednesday. How exciting is that? It's starring me, Peter Bales, and. Right here, Jackie the Joke Man Martin. Please follow us on social media. Search it out. What is it? MeSpace? MySpace? Your space? TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. Do da, do da.